through the book of Galatians. I've actually got to do five verses at a time. I think I'll probably get a few more than five today, but we'll just see what God does. I've told a couple of guys that I really like. Uh, I've always done um, topical sermons in, in such a way that I'll address different issues that arise. Thank you, Clyde. Uh, different issues that arise in the church, different issues that I see pertinent to our culture and, and our life and the way things go. And even those, I try my best to preach those exegetical meaning that I try to go to the text and preach what that text teaches about that topic. And that's not done a lot of the times. And that's a little bit harder to do because you have to really study context. And it's really easy if you want to preach on a topic to go get a proof text out of the Bible, meaning that you just go, you pluck a verse out of its context just to prove what you want it to prove, just to say what you want it to say. And a lot of the times, that's not even what that verse means whatsoever. We see it done all the time, especially with catchphrase verses like uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do uh, all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see that used out of context all the time. You know, it, it, it's used a lot of times in sports talking about we can really score touchdowns because Jesus Christ is God. I'm sure that's what Paul meant when he wrote that verse. Does it apply there? Maybe it can. But I want to tell you what it actually means is that Paul said, I know what it's like to be starving to death and left for dead. Right? But then he continues on, but I can do all things through Christ. I can continue on even though they're trying to kill me. I can continue on even if they do take my life. So what we want to do is, is, is we want to preach verses in context. We want to exegete. That means get the meaning out of the text instead of breathing meaning into the text and using text just to say, well, I think this is right, and I'm going to pluck this verse out to tell you why. Well, we've always done uh, topical sermons, and we've done them in a way that I hope would, would keep with the biblical teaching and the meaning, and so that we can really study that topic, because that's good too. There's nothing wrong with topical stuff. We need to address issues. We see the apostles doing that when an issue would arise. We see Paul addressing issues, Peter addressing issues. That's all well and good. But we also need to just go through the scripture sometimes, because this is very safe for the preacher to do. Not safe in that we can just do what we want to, safe for the hearers. No, actually on the other end of it, safe for the word of God, the whole thing being proclaimed no matter what. See, because if you're preaching all the way through a book, verse by verse, you're going to come to some things that you don't necessarily want to preach on. I've heard other preachers in other contexts, don't call any names, but I've heard other preachers say, I will never preach on said topic. I will never preach on alcohol. I will never preach on abortion. I will never preach on homosexuality. I will never preach on fill in the blank. The problem with that is that Paul said in, in the book of Acts, he says, or Luke recording Paul says, Paul says, I am free of your blood because I did not neglect to proclaim the whole counsel of God. You see, Paul calls us to preach it all. And so if we go straight through the verses, well, it's going to be very obvious to you if I'm really scared to preach a verse, and so I just say, right, let's, let's skip that one this week. So it's safe for God's glory and God's word to go forth. So in that vein, and with that said, let's continue on in Galatians, and let's see what Paul has to say. Now, we've looked at the introduction. We've looked at that first part there, and you know that Paul is speaking to, he's writing this letter. It's just a letter like I might write to you or I might write to you, and I would say, look, 
I love you, but there's some things that's going on here. I've actually done this before. I've had friends who are going down a path that they shouldn't go down, and I'll sit down, and I'll write them a letter. Because a lot of times, they'll cut you off if you try to talk to them. But if you give them a letter, they're probably going to read it. And so Paul's writing this letter to some people that he had poured into, that he had uh, invested in, the truth in. They were in line with the truth. We've got false teachers coming in and, 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 and really watering down and changing the message of the gospel, adding things in, taking things away. And Paul's writing a letter and he says, look, you guys got to get back to the basics. You got to get back to what I taught because if you don't, you're going to be deserting Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm amazed at how quickly you've done this. You've went away from the grace of Christ and you've deserted Jesus, the one who called you by his grace. How easy it is for the saints of God to be turned to the right or turned to the left. It shouldn't be. But oh, how easy it is for you and I to get off track. You know how we get off track? We get off track because we take our eyes off of the Lord. We take our eyes off of the one true God. His name is Jesus Christ. We get out of the word and we let things creep in just a little bit at a time. And we start to take a look at what we want and what we desire. And our emotions become king. Well, we've looked at this and now he's going to move in. He's, he's made this proclamation. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So someone's come into the church and they've started to distort the gospel. They started to twist it. Uh, it they haven't just altogether said the gospel's wrong and put in something else. We know that because they've just distorted it. They've tweaked it a little bit. That's what Paul says. He said they've, they've changed it just enough so that it's not the, not, it's not the gospel gospel of Christ anymore. It's a different gospel. He explains there's not another one, so this is just a false gospel. And if we follow in that vein, what does he continue on? He says, listen, even if I myself come back and preach another gospel, or if an angel comes out of heaven, remember us talking about that, you know, the angel in your bedroom, you know, but Paul says, look, we proclaim to the angel that's proclaiming another gospel, it is written, just like Jesus Christ did. But he says, this is the problem, that, that others are coming in. How many people come in and they try to tweak your understanding? Do you even have an understanding? How firm, how solid is your understanding of the, of, of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace alone, not by works, lest any man should boast, lest any woman should boast and say, I've done this. You see, the crazy thing is this, this isn't just a, a straight-up works-based salvation like a, a Hinduism or an Islam or anything like that. They still believed, actually, in Jesus Christ. This is Jesus plus works. How many, how many of you tear yourself apart because of the failings that you have in your works? You're preaching a false gospel to yourself. Now, should we hold ourselves accountable? Should we examine our hearts to see whether or not we've been to faith? Absolutely not. Absolutely so. You can't just do away with it. You can't just do away. But we need to examine ourselves. But we don't need to hinge who we are in Jesus Christ by our works. Where is your heart? Where is your faith? Where is your understanding? And if you see you're out of line, you're out of line with your works because a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. If you see you're out of line, what do we do? We repent. We repent and we turn back to Christ. We turn back 
the Christ. So Paul here, he's called this out. He said, look, this is a false gospel. If anyone is preaching to you this gospel, even if I or an angel, let him be accursed. So he's distinguished between the gospel that he is proclaiming and the gospel that anybody else, if they would distort it, what they are proclaiming. Now he's going to go on here in this section. We're going to look at verses 11 through about 23 or 18. We'll see how far we get. But starting in verse 11, I want to read for you. If you would, stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's going to be important. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I sent away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So here Paul has said, is that there is no other gospel except the gospel that I've given to you. We understand that the gospel that, that Paul gave is recorded in the scriptures. So he says, if anybody else contradicts these scriptures, if anybody else contradicts what I have taught to you, what I have shown you, that salvation is by grace alone, then may he be accursed, cut off under the wrath of God. That's how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That's how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Even if an angel comes down and tries to change it, may he be accursed. Now, what about this gospel? Why is Paul so uh, headstrong about this gospel? Why is Paul so dead on about this gospel that he says, if anybody changes this, he is under the wrath of God? Let me say this before I get into this. Would that message in today's culture go, go along very well? What if I stood up in the middle of any congregation other than a church congregation and said, either listen to me or you all are going to hell. Listen to exactly what I say, and if you don't believe me, you are under the wrath of God. <laughs> what would happen? Yeah, they're going to put you in the insane asylum, or they're going to laugh you out of the building, or they're going to throw rocks, they're going to kill you. You see, this is labeled as intolerant bigotry. But Paul says, but there's a reason. We talked about this a little bit in today's apologetic class. We, there's a reason that Paul can say, if anyone, if anyone disagrees with the gospel that I've put forth, he is accursed. Let him be accursed. There's a reason. Paul is not this prideful, arrogant, uh, self-proclaimed uh, originator of some message that says, if you don't agree with me, to hell with you. 
If you don't agree with me, hell's all that's left. If you don't agree with me, then wrath. No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying that if you disagree with me, it will be the wrath of God. But he's not saying it based on his own righteousness and based on his own merit. We can learn a lot from this as we proclaim the message of the, of the, of the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, can't we? Because we don't preach, we don't teach, we don't proclaim on our own merit, our own righteousness. Listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, if, let's back up one verse to give that context. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that, I, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. We could just preach the rest of the sermon on this verse and the one right after it. Check what he says there. He says, I would have you know, brothers. Now, who is he talking to? Who did he say? Brothers. The church of Galatia. The churches in Galatia. And here he specifies, he said, I would have you know, brothers. So he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. These are other believers. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now, Martin Luther in his commentary, oh, and by the way, I talked to some of you last week and said, uh, I'm going to get a few of uh, the Galatian commentaries by David Platt and, the, and Tony. I've got some of those. I bought seven of them. I don't know how many of you are serious. I don't know if that's a slap in the face or if it's, you know, just being careful. But I bought seven of them. I've got them. They're 10 bucks a piece. If you want one, come see me. If you are dead broke and you don't have any money, I'll give you one if you if you really will read it and study, okay? But any of those of you who would want one, then come and see me. I'll get one. If we have an abundance of people who want them, I'll order some more. No big deal. But I've got seven of them here with me today. So Martin Luther in his commentary says by this, he says uh, that Paul doesn't just mean that it's not man's gospel in such a way that it came from man or was written by man. You see, if we take this to uh, uh, the, the level that Paul is meaning it, if it would mean that it's not man's gospel in so much that it would bring a curse that you go a different gospel, then there's a lot encompassed in here. Paul says here, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, gospel for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a culture that everything, everything, and it is my job and it is my heartbeat to help you to understand. We preached a whole series on the upside down kingdom. Oh, how I wish that I could grasp on a daily and consistent basis, and I wish I could portray to you and help you to see that the world is exactly opposite of what Jesus Christ is. You see, we want man's gospel. We want man's credibility. We want man's evidence. And we want man at the center of our gospel. We want it to be all about us. Even in our theology and our doctrine, and we're starting to study uh, the, the Bible and we're starting to look, what we do is we come to the text and we, we can't understand the text. We can't understand reality. We can't understand the Bible. You know why? It's because we fail to realize what the Bible is all about. And if you don't realize what the Bible is all about and what the thesis is, what it's trying to convey to you, and you try to force onto the Bible a, a, a wrong meaning or a wrong foundation, then you can't understand what it's teaching. It doesn't make any sense. 
And what a lot of us do, because we're in love with ourselves, we're in love with with other people, and we really have a wrong understanding of, of who people are and the nature of people. We think that people are really actually good at heart. We think that, 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 that all men are actually good. We just need to find the good in them. No, they're not. They're all evil. All mankind, all mankind, they're all evil. There are none good. No, not one. There are none righteous. No, not one. There are none who seek God. That's Romans chapter 3. We need to understand that God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't. He really doesn't. God would be perfectly justified if he just wiped everybody off the face of the earth. So if we come to the scriptures and we say things like, well, well the, the Bible is all about you and how much Jesus loves you. The message of the redemptive gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for mankind is in the Bible. But that's not what the Bible is about. Not at its heart. I wonder how many of you just went, hmm. Oh. We have this wrong view of of how much we deserve God's love. What do you mean it's not all about man? Isn't the whole Bible about how Jesus came to save man? So what's it all about? What's it all about? It's about Christ and his glory. Why does Jesus Christ save all the people that he saves? What's the primary purpose? That they might glorify and worship him. And in this is the greatest demonstration of love. Yes, it is. But, but God doesn't save you for you. He says, for my name's sake have I called you out to be my people. For my name's sake. You see, we put our focus on ourselves and we start to twist the gospel to fit what we want. And you say, you're reading that into the text. No, I'm not. Because what Paul is saying here, back right up here, he says, for am I now seeking approval of man or of God? You see, we take the gospel and we say, okay, this gospel is actually all about Jesus Christ. We preach every bit of it, every ounce of it. And if people don't like it, well, that's just tough. If people don't like it, Paul would say in another book over in 2 Corinthians, he'd say, if they don't accept it, it's because the, the, the God of this world has blinded their eyes and they won't receive it. It's because they're hard-hearted and they hate Jesus. You can't take it out in order to appease man. That's Paul's whole purpose here. That's his whole point. He said the reason that you're adding on these traditions and the law of Moses is because you're afraid of what other people might think. You're trying to make this man-centered. You are adjusting the gospel to compensate what other men might think. So when we come to a hard text, we say, well, this can't mean this because it would mean that mankind is not primary. And we adjust the text. We adjust the meaning. He goes on, he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He's saying it's not about men, it's not about their traditions, and I didn't receive this one from any man. You see, he didn't get this gospel from any man. It, he didn't, it wasn't taught to him, it wasn't, it wasn't written and given to him, he wasn't instructed in these ways. He's very, very plain. This, this message is not about mankind, it's not centered on mankind, and it wasn't taught to him by mankind. Where did it come from? He said, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, people, men and women of God in here, 
unbelievers in here. You see, what we need is not some teaching from some preacher, but we need a revelation of Jesus Christ through the proclaimed Word of God. We don't need good methods. We don't need good philosophy. We don't need good apologetics without the Word of God. Without the revelation of Jesus Christ, we all remain in our sins and the wrath of God remains on us. We've got to have the revelation of Jesus Christ, which does not come through man's opinions and man's teachings. You say, well, Brandon, you're teaching right now. Well, let me say again, Paul even himself says, if I come back to you and I have strayed away from the revelation of Jesus Christ, may I be accursed. Paul says that of himself. Paul says of the Bereans, he says, they were more noble than the rest, for they did not fail to go and check everything that I said. They did not fail to test me. I, if I am proclaiming what I think is good in my opinions, then it's worth nothing. But if I proclaim the word of God, then it is not me that I proclaim, but it is the word of God, which is powerful. He says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We take anybody proclaiming the message, anybody proclaiming any truth. And we test it according to the word of God. We take what we can take and everything else is counted as loss. We test it by the word of God. He goes on, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and, had, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And he goes on, but here's the point right here that I want you to see. Paul, see, we have this mentality that we can't evangelize because we don't know enough or we can't, we can't share the gospel because we're not smart enough. We have this idea that we can't be who Christ has called us to be because we've not been in church long enough or, or the like. You can go on and on and on. Uh, many churches, they will not hire a preacher if he doesn't have a seminary degree. And I'm not against seminary degrees. I think that learning is a great thing. And I think, obviously, you know me. I think that you should read, that you should study, that you... But if we depend on that, then we fail to, we, we, we miss the point. We fail to realize the power of the gospel. You see, it's not, it's not how smart we are. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in another place, he said, I didn't come to you with lofty speech and with eloquent speech. I didn't come to you with lofty ideas and eloquent speech. I didn't come to you with, with great and wise words that would just, oh, man. He said, but I came to you preaching nothing but the cross which is foolishness to so many that he might not empty the cross of all of its power. You see, he uses his former life. I say all that to say this. He uses the example of his former life to show the power of God and the, and the power of the message that he proclaims. Why do we share our testimony? Why do we share our testimony? It's to show the power of God. You see, when I stand up here and I say, and I tell you all the things about going to jail so many times and being a meth addict and being all these, you know, drug addict and all these, I don't say. I, I mean, what do I got to gain from that? The reason I say that is, is that it is not explanatory through human reason why my life would have changed like it did, except for a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why we share our testimony. 
And Paul is basically doing the same thing. He says, look, I didn't get this gospel. I didn't get this gospel from some guy. I didn't. He said, you know me. You know me. You know I didn't, I didn't get the gospel. I didn't, I didn't understand all of that stuff. Jesus, I was just trying to kill Jesus' people. You know, you knew me. I, you know, you got these guys coming trying to distort. They've got, they've got all these gains they're trying to make. They're trying to please men. I'm not trying to please man. As a matter of fact, my whole life got wrecked. My whole life changed. My whole life got wrecked. I lost all my friends. He said I was advancing uh, 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 past many my own age. Ex- extremely zealous was I. This would have been like the guy who was at the, this would have been the, the president of the atheist society in, in a parallel. This would have been the guy that was, man, he was the top dog. He was the one that was, that was taking Christians to the woodshed, killing them, destroying them. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ showed up, smacked him off of his horse and said, no, you're going to speak for me now. You're going to speak for me now. If we go over to Acts chapter 9 and we see that Damascus Road experience, then we understand this. We understand that he didn't get his gospel from some guy. He didn't get his gospel by, by it being taught to him from man. But Jesus Christ showed up, changed his life. It says that he, that, that, that he went into the city and Ananias. He went into Damascus and Ananias spoke this word to him. Jesus, I mean, Jesus Christ had already blinded him. Ananias had spoke this word to him. And upon hearing the word of Ananias, which Jesus Christ had sent to Paul, or Paul sent him to them, they, Jesus got them together. It says, Paul's eyes were open. He received the Holy Spirit, and something like scales fell off of his eyes. You see, this was a revelation of Jesus Christ that invited, and and, and the power of the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of him. He was born again, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ, and now he was proclaiming the things that he did not know through the power of Jesus Christ. How many weeks ago was it when I said that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth? You see, we can know the Bible up one side and down the other, but unless we have a revelation of Jesus Christ, we have no true power. The same goes for you. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ and a revelation of him, then I don't know what is going on in your life. I don't know what power you have to overcome those things that are binding you and holding you down. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. How many times did the traditions of our fathers absolutely kill any progress that we can make towards Jesus Christ? And I'm not going to just call out traditional churches. Some of those, have, those churches have those problems too. But I'm going to tell you right now, your traditions and my traditions and the traditions of this church will stifle and silence the Holy Spirit, and and it'll absolutely destroy our ability to see revelation of Jesus Christ if we allow it to do so. You see, people in the contemporary church, they're all about tradition, tradition, tradition is terrible, tradition is terrible, while they're developing their own tradition. I agree. I think that there are traditions in, in... Churches that absolutely destroy the ability of the gospel to go forward, absolutely. But I promise you this, you better watch yourself as your traditions develop, as your traditions develop. Because we all get so locked in, go back to man's gospel, we get so locked in on what we think people should do, on how we think somebody should dress, or how we think that they should 
talk or how we think that it should be done or how we think. You see, this goes back to our understanding. And then we start to teach our understanding to people instead of the revelation of Jesus Christ. When traditions start being proclaimed, we've got a huge problem. When traditions start being proclaimed, we've got a huge problem. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that needs to be proclaimed. This is what changes lives. And it gives Christian freedom in the areas where the Bible doesn't speak. Paul says, I'm zealous in my traditions. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by my grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, when we read the book of Acts, it gives a little bit more of the history here. We understand that what happened to Paul was is that Paul was extremely zealous. He was going around uh, um, Stephen, the, the first martyr, uh, who was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. We, remember, we've read that story. We, we looked at that before during the last series. Well, he was stoned to death, and it said they cast their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul was one of the primary leaders when Christians were being killed and slaughtered in the streets for what they believed. So he was making this big push in his, in his Judaism, this, this violent sect of Judaism that, that thought that Christianity, that thought that Christ was trying to overthrow what God had taught in the Old Testament. So they thought they were doing the right thing. Doesn't everybody think they're doing the right thing? You see, when we get so caught up in tradition and we lose sight of the reality of what is and we start projecting what we want it to be, we get so lost in our traditions that we start to think that they are the truth, the truth worthy to die for. But there's only one truth worthy to die for, and that is Jesus Christ and his gospel. You see, Paul says here, he says, I was advancing so much, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now, let me tell you something right here. What Paul does here is he highlights the grace and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Because how many times has it been said that, no, I make the decision, you make the decision. What was Paul doing? Did it say that Paul started to get convicted and he started to have these ideas? Somebody presented him with some good philosophy and all this kind of stuff. No, it says that he was zealous. He was pressing hard against God. Then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ showed up and flipped the script on him, changed everything. He was born again. He started preaching immediately. This is a Holy Ghost encounter right here. Paul says plainly, he says, this wasn't something that I did out of my own will, out of my own flesh. This isn't something that I conjured up. It's not the, it's not the one who wills or the one who runs. It's in Romans chapter 8. He says here, he says, I was zealous. I was set apart. I was extremely on fire for the traditions. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. You see, Paul was always, was always was always going to be who God wanted him to be. And Jesus Christ made sure of that. And when Jesus Christ met Saul on the road, what did he do? Did he, oh, you're okay. I know you've done some bad in your life, but God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, what did he do? I imagine Jesus comes straight out of nowhere with a, with a mean right hook. Bam! Off his horse he came, on his back. He blinded him. He blinded him. You go under, he blinded him. He knocked him off. He blinded him. 
He gave him commands. He gave him commands. We're a little too easy on people sometimes. When you encounter Jesus Christ for real, it makes the church look kind of, the American church look kind of silly, doesn't it? We kind of pamper everybody. We placate their sin. And we say, oh, it's okay. I know you're having a hard time. You know, one day, one day, no. Oh, I ain't going to preach on that sin. I, I can't preach on sin. That, people won't like me. No. If they don't know the problem, how can they ever repent? If they don't know the one who came to save them from their sins, how will they ever, ever be born again? Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, Paul understand very clearly that God had a plan for his life, that Jesus Christ knew which direction he was going. He pressed into Christ. He heard from Christ. That's the direction he went. And it opened it up for him to do what God has called him to do. How can we ever understand what it is that God has called us to do if we're not listening to Jesus Christ for what he has for us? How can we ever understand the message that we are called to go out into the city and proclaim without understanding the word of God? We've got to get into the word. And this, folks, is where the power comes from. This is where the power comes from. Paul says that it was Jesus Christ that did all this, and it was his pleasure to do this. It says, it says but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. You see, it's when God pleases. It's when God decides. It's when God is, it, it, it has brought it about. It's on God's timing. How many of us, we want that person to come to the Lord? We want our children to come to the Lord, and we plead with the Lord, and that's good. But we need to understand everything is in God's timing. Everything is in God's timing. Wesley said, had a good word this morning. He said, you know, all of our suffering, all of the trials, all the tribulations, we, we like to look at God and say, how could you let this happen? How could this be happening to me? I don't understand this. Well, didn't Paul go through some trials and some tribulations? As a matter of fact, he was blinded. He was blind for three days by the hand of God. We say, why have you done this, God? See how big of a, how, see how lofty of a view we have of ourselves? I don't deserve this, God. I can't believe you would do this. This is not the best thing for me, God. How dare you? God, if you would have given me a million dollars, I would have done the right thing with it. And God's like, no, you wouldn't. You would have been wild. Some of y'all would have been real wild. So God says, so instead of a million ducks, <laughs> ducks. <laughs> so instead of a million bucks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lose your job. Instead of a million bucks, I'm going to make your car break down. Instead of a million bucks, I'm going to bring this thing into your life. Why? Because I want to train you. See, God knows what we need. We don't know what we need. We think we do. There's a way that seems right to a man's heart, but in the end, at least the destruction, we think we know. Right? We think we understand that. But what we need is what God knows that we need. He said, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. 
You see, God had a plan for Paul, and God had a message that he was going to instill in Paul through the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he was going to send him to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is not by works that you are saved, it is not by what you do, but it is by the grace of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And this is what he received from uh, Jesus Christ on the road. And it says here, and he, and he goes more in depth, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He's driving this message home to his hearers and his readers and he's saying that what they are bringing to you is learned it's distorted they are looking at other men and they are they are uh, uh, surrounding and and molding their gospel based on a man-centeredness what do other people think what should we do because of so and so what so theirs is man-centered but mine is not it's through revelation of jesus christ i met jesus personally he gave me a message jesus had uh, chosen me before I was even born. He is absolutely confirming his call, and he is saying, look, I'm not some false teacher. I got this straight from the, from the God-man himself. How many of you are that confident in your call? You should be. You should be. The Bible calls you to be ambassadors of Christ. Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You should be. We walk around with our head down, and I don't know if I should tell them that or not. I don't know if I can speak that or not. That might be intolerant. But you've just bought into the man-centeredness of it. See, our culture says that truth doesn't exist, that everything's relative, that you can't push your views on me because I'm right too. But that's not what the Bible says. That's a man-centered gospel, and it's not a gospel. Paul tells us that. We've got to go into the world with confidence with the good news of Jesus Christ. And you don't, listen, I know you're not good enough. I know you have failures. I know that. So do I. And if I based my ministry on my failures, I would never get up here. I've told you my testimony, and I have not, I have not hidden my faults from you. I, I, I am a man. I struggle. I struggle sometimes. I've, man, she has not let me sleep in how long now? Good grief. And so sometimes I do get up, by golly, I do. I get up with my, babe, do I, well, maybe not every single time, but 98% of the time I get up with my wife. Now, it might be like this. <sighs> Why? Why at midnight is she awake? <laughs> Why? You know, we have our faults, we have our faith, but we don't, we don't preach out of our own power. We don't preach out of our own righteousness, right? We preach out of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And if we don't, it's not loving. Man's gospel is not loving. What, what do we know from the first part of what I've been preaching last week? What do we know happens when man's gospel is preached? When, the, when a distortion of the gospel is preached? What is the result of that? Being what? It was in the text. Come on. Accursed. When we spread a false gospel, all we do is spread wrath. If someone comes to you and they are believing a false gospel and you will not tell them the truth, all you have done is reassure their damnation and condemnation. 
that's not loving. Don't buy into this lie of the world that we've got to that we've got to uh, uh, agree with everyone, and we can never disagree. And don't force your views on anyone. As a matter of fact, and we talked about this in the apologetics class. If someone comes to you and says you can't force your view on anyone, you just look right back at them and say, "Don't push your view on me about not pushing my view on others." It's absurd. This whole, this whole idea of no truth, it's absurd. It's, it's ludicrous. And it's a lie straight from hell. Paul didn't believe it and neither should we. He's telling them, look, I didn't get this from anyone. I didn't consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Listen, Paul's not saying that it's not a good idea to get good teaching and good instruction in the word of God. He's not saying that. You got to remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He was writing the Bible, okay? He was getting direct revelation from Jesus Christ that would be written down, canonized as scripture, that we could know what God had said. Theonoustos, this is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. This is the Word of God. And so what we would say is that Paul is making a claim here that his call and his revelation was not his own, but it was a revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is the only true revelation that can set anyone free. Now, we take this, and we understand, and the application of this is that we have Paul's writings. We have Paul's teachings that was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the breathed out word of God. And so we don't come and say, Jesus Christ revealed to me, now let me tell you the word of God, not unless you're quoting the scriptures. But we do now have the scriptures that we, can, that we can bank on, that we can speak into someone's life, and it has power to save. It has power to correct. It has power to overcome those weaknesses. And you can absolutely, if you are a child of God, I will say this. Let's flip over to Ephesians just for a second. I want to show you something here. Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul said, I want, I want to show you that you, if you're a believer, you like Paul. Paul said in Galatians, he said this, and I want to show you this little parallel right here. And Paul wrote Ephesians 2, okay? Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. So Paul had confidence that he was a man of God, that this was God's call in his life, that he was always intended to be one of God's children. And when he came into that call, boy, it lit him up. It gave him power. It empowered him. And he went before the nations. He went before the Gentiles and proclaimed this gospel in season and out with confidence, right? How many of you would like to have that confidence? I want to see a show of hands. How many of you would like to have that confidence? I would. I would, in season and out of season, to know that God had set me apart before the foundations of the world to be here telling you this message right now. Well, that seems intolerant. I'm just trying to show you the gospel of Christ so that you won't perish, but that you might have life. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. Blessed be the God, start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now, this is a, this is, he's, he's using the word us here to include us, okay? It's not just, he didn't say me, he said us, and he's talking to the Ephesian church. He's talking to believers, he's talking to you. 
He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in every heaven, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You see that? You can say, just like Paul, that he chose me before I was born. That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter 2 says, even as he has chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That's the Bible. All I did was read it. Jesus Christ has a purpose for your life. He's had that purpose since the beginning of the world, before the foundations of the world. He knew who you were. He formed you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You see, you don't have to go holding your head down with, with no confidence. So you got sin in your life? Okay. All right. Jesus Christ died on the cross for it. Build a bridge and get over it. You got some stuff going on? Get over it. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And that plan is not new. It's not come up with. It's not thought about. It was before the foundations of the world. Amen? He's got a purpose for you. That's right. We can take confidence in that. No matter what comes, hell or high water, no matter what comes, Jesus Christ has a purpose. You see, even the greatest among us will fail at time to time. I promise you that. And I know that. You know why? Because right over on in Galatians uh, chapter 2, I I'm just going to jump over there real quick. Is that okay? I'm going to show you this. Because, because a lot of times we think, oh, I've, I've sinned. I've fallen. I can't get up. Some of you need that little thing on your neck. You push the button. <laughs> what does it say? Help. Help. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to get up. You need to get up because, listen to this, even the apostle Peter, even Peter, who, who, who was the biggest, baddest, uh, most headstrong leader that Jesus Christ had. He was dumb as dirt, but he was awesome, right? Listen, listen, even the apostle Peter falls all the time. And I say that, I mean, if he's dumb as dirt, then, you know, you got to dig a little while to get to me. I'm not saying that in a braggadocious way. I'm just telling you, even the best of us fall, right? Even the best, listen to this. This is, this is, this is Paul talking about Peter. But when Cephas, that's Peter before his name was changed. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why did he, why did he oppose his brother, his, his, his fellow apostle? Because he stood condemned. This is the apostle Peter. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. The circumcision party was the ones who were the false teachers. And so here we have this picture of this moral failure on Peter's part. Now we'll see Peter rise up out of these dumb ashes and get back to work, right? But right here we see Peter's having a good time. Cephas is having a good time. He's, he's eating with these Gentiles, you know. He's, he's partying it up with them. They're eating all kind of meat that Jews ain't supposed to eat. I can only look, you know, Jews, they didn't, they didn't touch pork, you know, and, 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 and Peter was commanded to eat things like that. And he said, oh, Lord, nothing unclean has ever went across my lips. I wonder if he tasted that one day. Now he's partying it up with the Gentiles. He's like, hey, hand me that bacon. Hey, could you pass the pork? 
Pastor, come on. Hey, I see that fork. Hey, sausage, sausage, anybody? So he's partying it up with the Gentiles. And then the, these, these, uh, the, the circumcision party came in with James, right? And it's these Judaizers, it's these people who uh, had been pushing this circumcision, right? They come walking in, and I can just see it now. It's like the fundamental church walking up in the well. Y'all got some work to do around here, right? They come walking in, and Peter all of a sudden is like, You know, he's like, hey, anybody got a, 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 a stick of double mint gum? I got pork chop on my breath. You know, he, he separates himself out. No, I don't want to be a part of this Gentile people. What did he do? In that instance, he became a racist. He became a religious racist. He did. Peter. Peter. And Paul calls him flat out on it. So if any of y'all in sin and I call you out in public, I got the Bible on my side, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to most of you. Some of you I would. I say this to say, look, Paul understood that his message was not of God. It was not based on the foundation of his righteousness or his goodness or his holiness, but it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't built around man's theology, a man-centered theology. It wasn't built around what other people thought. It wasn't even built around what anybody taught him, period. It came straight from Jesus Christ. And Paul believed it so much, and it was so true, that he said, you hang your head on, if anybody disagrees, may he be accursed, the wrath of God rest upon him. Men and women of God in this room, we've got to rise up. We've got to rise up. You're going to fall, you're going to fail, sure you are. You've got to get up out of the dust. You've got to. Our world depends on it. You've got to get up. Look at our country. Our country is doing what it's doing because people are dumb. And they don't understand the gospel. The guy I put on Facebook the other day, and I really do believe it, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for our nation and the rest of the world. This is just the truth. The moral decay of society is coming because the gospel is being Lost. It is not being proclaimed. It is not being shouted. And you know why? I don't want to put this on you and me, but I'm going to put it on you and me. You know why? You know why that everybody thinks that it's okay to do whatever they want to do? You know why everybody thinks that it's okay as long as it feels good? It's because we, like the Galatians, have bought into the lie. That it's all about man. We, like the Galatians, have bought into the lie that we should conform what we believe to what the people around us say is true. We have started to distort the gospel with man's opinions rather than revelation from Jesus Christ. Am I telling the truth or am I telling the truth? So what is, the, what is the remedy? What is the solution? I'm not telling you to go around smacking people with the KJV, okay? Although that would be really fun from time to time. You know, I'd get one of those really big ones that made the boom, you know? But I'm not telling you to do that. that we, can't, we can't do that, right? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we are to be ready to give an answer, right? Anytime anybody harasses, but the end of that verse says that we are to do it with gentleness and respect. What I am asking you to do is to open your mouth and proclaim the gospel. A lot of the time you say, 
Well, I don't believe that stuff, Brandon. I, I, don't, I don't condone that. Sometimes your silence is the greatest confirmation. Sometimes your silence is the greatest confirmation. You got somebody speaking horrible lies, one right after another, out of their mouth. And you sit there like this. If you won't speak, who will? Who's going to speak the truth of God if Christians won't do it? Do it in a loving way. Sure, do it in a peaceful way. But it's not always going to be peaceful. And just because it's not always going to be peaceful doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Jesus Christ said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. The gospel is offensive. When you speak it, people get offended. It shouldn't be your goal, but it's going to be your reality. That's just the way it is. Now, if you care more about not offending people, then you're going to not offend people, but you're going to offend God. That's just the way it is. So out of this section of Galatians today, I'm going to make a plea to you. Get into the Bible. Understand what the revelation of God is. Start somewhere. It doesn't matter. Start somewhere. And then as the opportunity approaches, as the opportunity presents itself to stand for Christ in a loving way, do it. Do it. Stop being silent for those people at work. Stop being silent because you've got sin in your life. We all got sin in our life. Get the sin cleaned up and get to work. God is not hindered by your sinfulness in that way. God, God uses broken vessels. If you wait till you're perfect to proclaim the gospel, then you're going to wait too long because you're never going to be perfect until you're already in the presence of God and then you won't need to proclaim it because it'll be over. Open your mouth. Speak for Jesus. Speak for Jesus. And it's not unloving. I don't care. Don't you buy into that lie. This is the last thing I'll say. Let's everybody stand to our feet. Hey, can you come up and do that thing you were doing, I think, on the second song where it was like, do you know what I'm talking about? When you I could just keep doing that if somebody else could come preach. The last thing I want to say, all jokes aside, is there is hope and forgiveness in Christ. You see, the good thing about Jesus is, is that not only, <clears throat> not only do we have this idea of, see, this idea of predestination being saved before the foundations of the world. That's clearly taught in Ephesians chapter 1. But some tend to think, well, then it's all decided. Oh, well. No, it doesn't work that way either. But God is working through you. Have, did you catch that in, 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 in the first part of Galatians? He says, God chose me before I was born to do something in this world, to bring about his plan. So is God sovereign? Is God working out? Yes, he is. But he's doing it through you. And what he is calling you to do is take a move. He's calling you to move into the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's calling you to understand it. And he's calling you to allow your sins to be covered in, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because when he calls us before the foundations of the world, it meant that he knew exactly what we were going to do. He knew exactly what we were going to be. And I want to ask you right now, how many of you in here 
have allowed some idea, some judgment, some sin in your life to absolutely take you out of the ministry of God. You say, did I have a ministry? I'm not on stage. I'm not a preacher. Every one of you who are believers have a ministry. You're called to be ambassadors of Christ. In the highways, in the byways, in the workplace, and in the grocery store. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. And so I would offer this morning for you to come unto Christ who offers salvation for those of you who aren't saved. But he also offers forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all every single bit of it, every piece of it. If we've been sinned against and those things that we have done as sinners. Many times it's the sins that other people do that hold us back from proclaiming the gospel of Christ. It's hard to be sinned against. Sometimes we hold on to that bitterness and that unforgiveness and it just it rips us apart. It tears us down. And we're not living in the joy of Jesus Christ. So you've heard the word of God. You've heard what God's word has said is that Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything that we understand to be truth. We don't proclaim ourselves. It's not our own righteousness. We understand we're going to fail. We understand we're going to be sinners in this world. But that's not an excuse to continue in sin, no. Looking at the truth and the standard, we repent of our sin and we get back to work. So this morning, I would ask that you respond to Christ how he has called you. You know where you are and you know where you need to be. I'm praying for each and every one of you. I'm praying for each and every one of you that we would be a people that are out there. I want you to look around at all these empty seats. Look around, like literally. Look around. Look at all these empty seats. We've actually leveled off. For some reason, we're, we're not inviting people anymore. We're not bringing them in. Are we, have we lost our excitement? I hope your excitement wasn't based on something that I was doing or the church was doing or the newness of it or the music or something like that, but based on the, on the, on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Talk to them, invite them, bring them in, get them here. Let's, let's, let's share the gospel with them. If you can't get them here, you've got to share it out there. You've got to be ready in season and out of season. Take the gospel to them. Let's build the kingdom here and there and everywhere. Let's do business with the Lord right now. Let's give ourselves to Him in this time.